Thanks for joining us for another edition of Lead.exe. I'm Brian, number four in Denver, Colorado. And I'm Nick Lozano in uh, Washington, D.C. And today we're joined by a very special guest, Tom Gundelfinger O'Neill. What's a Gundelfinger? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's, not, that's a legitimate question. Uh, yeah, it well, is. <laughs> there, there's more to come on that particular topic. But Tom falls outside of the norm of many of the guests that we've featured on the show so far. Uh, but he's someone that we felt passionate and strong about bringing on board the program, uh, not only for his experience with technology, which is primarily in photography, which has been an evolutionary path for how he has had to adapt and change with his own work with the technology, as well as leadership decisions around that but also just because Tom's one of those fascinating characters who's got a rich life story and what great leader doesn't uh, come with uh, a great personal story as well. Yeah, no, and I, I've known Tom for probably about 10 years now. Um, and he is just such a personable person. Um, he's genuine and authentic. And I feel like um, that, that really helps people open up to him when he's taking photographs. I don't know, Brian, like if you can, but I can always tell when I see, you know, like the wedding engagement photos and when I can tell that the people have no rapport with the photographer at all and they just look look like, hurry up, let's get this picture over with, um, you know, and then you can always tell when people are enjoying it and they, they, they like the photographer, they have a relationship, they get them to relax and open up, you know, because the other way around then everyone else looks like a Marine Corps general smiling. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of a Marine Corps general smiling. I don't think I've seen a single one. <laughs> if, if any of our audience has seen a picture of a Marine Corps general in uniform smiling, please send it to me because I have never seen that, seen one of those pictures. <laughs> That's right. We want to add it to our Instagram thread. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we would totally add it to our Instagram if you can find it. Um, I think I've seen a picture of one smirking, but that does not count as a smile. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, and Tom's got just such a vast background as a photographer. We certainly talked with him at length about some of the areas where he has taken his technical process and really worked magic with his capabilities as a photographer. But he's very well known uh, as the man behind the lens for images that have been popularized in the mainstream with just one celebrity figure after another and you know across just about as many uh different publication mediums so it's a it's a real treat to have tom come on board and spend some time with him we should also mention that this was an interview that was done live so it's got some additional different uh audio artifacts uh, in the mix uh, from some of our other uh broadcasts yeah, no, I definitely think everybody should hang on and listen. The, the content's amazing. Um, and, and the conversation and the quotes that Tom kind of has, I'm not going to give them away. <laughs> the quotes that Tom has that he brings up um, are just really great. Um, so, you know, sit back, relax, and uh, enjoy our interview with Tom O'Neill. Yes, that guy. I love that. <laughs> and I have a son who's a techie. There you go. Super techie. Yeah, I can't even tech right there. Yeah, no, right. I, I try and stay as savvy as I can about what's going on. I've embraced it all. Where a <laughs> number of my friends, they just say, oh, I don't, yeah. I really don't care about that. I, I can't keep up with it, and I just, I don't understand that. I've had some people years ago that said, I don't even know how to turn a computer on. That was scary. 
to be around when technology is at a point like it is now and still just moving in these incredible rates, why not embrace that? Take advantage of it. Yeah. It's, just, it's fascinating. Just like uh, Molly and I just got another car. Now, we didn't have the money to buy a... Uh, we got a Lexus. Um, her brother sells them. So we get... We, we know when a good one is coming in. Mm -hmm. And so we still get a pretty decent price. The point I tried to make to her was she was happy with the one she had, six, seven years old. I said, why don't we take advantage of the incredible technology within the automotive world right now? You know, that's really hit an amazing point. And stuff that's been going on for the last two or three years is really breakthrough. We can get a car three years old and we will be more more advanced in a technological way driving than we've ever been. And we are. I mean, the car is just loaded with stuff, mostly for safety features. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I mean, I everything has something going on um, within the world of technology that is really advanced. And why not go for it? Makes your life more fun. Yeah, no, exactly. That's what, like uh, mine and Bryce, Brian's thought behind this is that, you know, we, we see that in the technology space that a lot of these people, um, you know, are back office workers initially when they start and they kind of don't have the tactful skills of being personable, being able to talk with other people, being able to lead other individuals. So the kind of our idea behind this podcast is, you know, talking to interesting people about different topics, probably how they learn or how they manage relationships. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know you're a photographer, so you instantly, as soon as you have a subject in front you've got to build a rapport with them to get them comfortable to get them to kind of open up so that they're not oh, you know like that in front of a, absolutely. a yeah. picture you know no, that's the key to a good portrait session yeah. is you have to build that sphere of trust uh, immediately and it's hard because sometimes I'm in a situation people you know people here they know who I am so I have an advantage that's Tom. He's a nice guy. You'll have fun. He's very easy with you. He's a good guy. I, um, but sometimes I walk into a situation like photographing a CEO or somebody way up in upper management, and you know the first thing they say is, "Ask me is how long is this going to take?" I don't want to say, you know, well, thirty minutes longer than you you yeah. have. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because you're being such a jerk right now. It's going to take a while, extra time to get you to settle down and open up so that we can actually get a photo that you're going to be happy with. And I can't say that. So I, I kind of tell him in a way what he wants to hear. I say, well, it'll be quick, yeah, but, but you have to work with me, you know, and you have to believe in me, and you have to trust me. Uh, and, I, and I try to establish right away that, that I'm more concerned about it getting a really good picture of that person rather than me getting a good picture for me. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you convince somebody that you care about them in some ways more than you care about what you're doing, that is a very, very critical moment. In sales, no matter anything, anytime you have any interaction with somebody, the way you build that trust is that you've got to show them that you care about them. There's this great line. Uh, it was said a long time ago, and it kind of just disappeared. Now it's it's kind of starting to resonate again. Teddy Roosevelt said it like in the early 1900s. But nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. It's a very good quote. It's a great quote. I I, I say it to myself a lot, and I remind myself. You know, there's this thing. Um, Mark McKnight 
you know, he told me he, when I talked to his group, he said, you know, my guys have this thing we call show up and throw up. And <laughs> another guy, and he says, I got to get him. You know, I want you to tell him, like, what is it like to be there within a, within a relationship when you meet somebody for the first time and you've got you've to win them over? You know, what do you do? You know, well, you don't start talking about yourself right away. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of guys do. Hey, this is what I got. You know, they realize they have 15 minutes with this guy. By the way, we got a lot of new products. Look at this. What do you think of that? Yeah? Yeah. And, and yeah, I, and oh, by the way, you seen the picture of the kids? Yeah, I got a brand new granddaughter. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> As opposed to, is that your granddaughter? Wow. She's beautiful. What's her name? Oh, her name is Betty Lou. Ah, I love Betty Lou. That's great. I don't know. But you know, you know what I mean? I'm just spontaneous. Yeah, you're talking, yeah, no, about, no, you're you're talking about the power of engagement yeah. versus yeah. just the cursory, we've got to have, you know, the obligatory chit-chat at the yeah. front end because that's what's socially accepted. You're yeah. talking about actually getting into committing yourself. Yeah, committing yourself and winning that person over. I mean, I'm not saying anything that is profound and, and something that, oh, I discovered this new way of communicating with people. I mean, this is... This is it. This has been going on for a, ever since people have been able to talk to each other. You know, there was one guy that originally figured, you know, why don't I ask him about him? You know, we're learning this thing called language. Yeah. <laughs> me want to know how you are. <laughs> oh, me good. Okay. We established that. <laughs> I mean, when you think about it, you know, I mean, we've been communicating for a long time, but, but somehow when I was doing all the rock and roll and all the album covers, Maybe it's, it was in the DNA. My dad was in sales, but I developed a way of approaching um, different artists with this thing that I've been talking about. Is okay, it's about them. There were guys that would say, "Hey, when am I going to do your album cover? Don't forget to call me. You know, I want to do your album. Hey, man, I want to do your album cover. Yeah, far out. You're awesome, right? Whereas my approach was like, if you find yourself in need of somebody that can help you and if I could help you make your album cover something that will make you feel better about yourself and your band and the way that album cover looks and possibly uh, increase incentive sales and make you more money then maybe I can help you I always and I never said can I I always left it in their court mm-hmm. if I can help you sometime you can give me a call it's up to you. Your call. I'll be there for you if you call me. You know that. Because I believe in you. And I believe in your music. And, and you know, and I'm paraphrasing. I didn't say maybe those exact words. But I said it heartfelt. And I got a lot of work done. Because it was real. Yeah. And I had some great relationships with people. You know, so in many ways, sure, it was an opportunity for me to do something big. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I wanted to do something for them. I think that would be a good place for us to just have Tom back up and do a little bit of a, yeah, a, a so, bio on himself because we, we've been wanting to capture that with <laughs> yeah. all of our guests. Is that where yeah, you're Yeah, so Tom, if you just, in a nutshell, I mean, I, I know you're, you've done lots of things, but for people who don't know who Tom O'Neill is, can, can you just give us who Tom O'Neill is in yeah. a nutshell? Well, I, um, I gave a talk uh, last August. And that's probably another thing I should say. Do a keynote talk on on my um, rock and roll career. It was late 60s, early 70s. And it's been quite popular. But I get introduced now as Tom Gundelfinger O'Neill. 
and people are a little bit confused because a lot of people know me. You guys met hmm. me and know me as Tom O'Neill, but I do um, know the Gundelfinger, though. <laughs> you didn't know that, or you no? Did? I do. I yeah, didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, you did. Yeah, you know that yeah. now. Yeah, but there are a number of people that go, what, "What's the Gundelfinger?" And so I sometimes <laughs> have to say it. I, in fact, so when I spoke to this group um, there at the Lawrence Livermore uh, lab, I had a huge auditorium uh, with you know with great auditoriums. I mean, it was packed with rocket scientists and physicists and all that. And, I just, and so I totally improv and I said, well, first of all, let me tell you that if you Google Tom O'Neill, you'll get this guy with all these photographs. And then if you Google Tom, Tom Gundelfinger, you'll get this other guy with a whole different set of photographs and a whole different life. So I, said, I looked at him and I said, basically, you're looking at somebody with a split personality. And I really don't know who I am until now. In fact, let's go... 1967. That means I'm Tom Gundelfinger, you know. <laughs> Summer of Love, Monterey Pop, and I. It, this was all improv, and I segue. I got a laugh out of it, and I segued right into it, and I did a quick little blurb as to what what the name I was born with, because all the album cover credits are under Tom Gundelfinger. So um, when I started to do this talking and. You know, enough time had gone by after I'd gotten married and changed my name. So when I married, I, I married Molly O'Neill, and she had a prettier name, so <laughs> she won that game. Much easier easy. to spell, right? <laughs> <laughs> Gundelfinger O'Neill. Molly O'Neill, Tom Gundelfinger. It, I always said my name sounded like a cardboard box falling down a flight of stairs, you know. <laughs> so I didn't want to bring kids into the world going through what I went through, so I became Tom O'Neill. And we have Dugan O'Neill and Casey O'Neill. The cat is even named uh, Danny O'Neill. <laughs> uh, um, so it's uh, if he was Danny O'Neill Gundelfinger, his initials would be dog, and that's not good for a cat. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so he's Danny O'Neill. But, um, you know, so I, I finally figured out how to use this dual name thing. Mm -hmm. And since the rock and roll thing has gotten really popular, over the last several years, I, I've just joined the names again. But now I have another career. <laughs> uh, you know, we, I, you guys know about the fact that uh, for the listening audience, I should say, yeah, I, I, I appeared in a, a Sprint commercial. I feel like I have to talk to them like they're like, hey, guys. <laughs> wave at them, Tom, wave Yeah, hi, everybody. Okay. Hi, how are you out there? I'm, I'm now great. looking at the mic. <laughs> Rather than these two good-looking guys. Uh, anyway, so... Uh, well, that's debatable, Tom. That's debatable. <laughs> so, I, uh, yeah, because I was in this Sprint commercial I uh, that aired all over the place, uh, there was a lot of popularity over it and um, or a lot of notoriety, whatever you want to call it. But out of it, I got an agent and um, I'm going to do more work. And they, they've signed me, but I had to come up with another name because th there's the photographer dude and then there's the rock and roll dude and now the actor. So I'm Tom Gione. So Tom's <laughs> Gundelfinger rock and roll guy. And already a Tom O'Neill in the SAG, right? So uh, no, I, I, really? you know, I, I researched it. I did not. Well, wow. there's um, uh, Ryan O'Neill. And Tatum O'Neill, and but oddly enough, that name has not been given to too many actors. So uh, there was a guy named Tom Neal back in the '40s, but the way I spell my name, E A L, um, there, no, there's there's not a, a lot of confusion. So Ryan O'Neill would be the biggest, and of course Shaquille O'Neal, somebody like that, 
distant cousin, but <laughs> I can't jump. You're just like a that. little bit shorter, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm much shorter. So, uh, so I just took, uh, and I've used Tom Gioni all over the. So I'm just. I was trying to think, and the Oscar goes to. Tom G. O'Neill. And I thought, yeah, good. There's a little bit of a pause between the two different, you know, the, the, the <laughs> name and the initial and everything. Yeah, I said, it, the Oscar goes to Tom O'Neill. No, and I like, and the Oscar goes to Tom G. O'Neill. And I, I see myself jumping out of my chair, and, <laughs> you know, going crazy, kissing my wife, and then running up on the stage and falling on the stage and chipping a tooth. The good news is IMDb, you know, allows for several aliases in there. So you can really put as many names as you want once you, you know, you've got your... The Sprint commercial is just one of many appearances that you've been able to do as Tom G. O'Neill. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, anyway, that so I, I hope people have that problem of, if you know, finding a third career and coming up with another mm-hmm. name to call themselves. You know, so um, on my passport it says... Um, Tom, actually Tom Gundelfinger O'Neill, and then on the back it says A.K.A. Tom G- Christopher Gundelfinger, my original name. Mm-hmm. So, but then I found out, you know, there's movie actors that change their name, and then they're known as something else. Um, John Dusseldorf becomes John Denver. John Denver, perfect yeah. example, and I and probably on his passport he had, was able to change it to John Denver. The IRS knows me as actually as Tom G. O'Neill. They probably know you actually is uh, a nine-digit <laughs> nine number. Nine-digit number, yes. <laughs> five, four, five, five, <laughs> Back to your earlier comments. <laughs> We're reaching the tape right now. <laughs> back to your earlier comments about establishing you know, genuine engagement. Uh, that's probably not something that the IRS is terribly interested in. <laughs> no. Hey, I'd like to ask you some questions yeah. about you know, where you started with technology as a photographer, where it's come to, and how that has enabled you to evolve yourself from, you know, both as a photographer and artist, as well as someone who is interacting with other teams of people who might have to work with you on yeah. creative projects? Um, that's, a, that's a great question. I actually, you know, have regrets about not being technical enough when I started. And there was... In the early days of film, there was a big debate, you know, how far do you go with the technology? Um, learning how to shoot film was technology, you know, even though it had been around for a long mm-hmm. time, you know, exposures, exposure compensation. Um, Ansel Adams had the zone system, which I studied for a while and all that. But originally when I got into it, right out of college, uh, I was coming out of uh, as a design major and a painting major that so I had pretty good design fundamentals down, but photography kind of came almost by accident. You know, a, a design teacher loaned me his camera, and I went out and started taking pictures, and I thought, wow, this is easy. <laughs> Click, that's a painting. <laughs> Didn't Click. have to paint, yeah. yeah. That's another painting, no turpentine, no smell of any of this stuff. I'm not making stretchers, boom, boom. Ooh, I like this, you know. So, uh, and that was, I borrowed a Nikon F, so there were no automatic features to it or anything like that. But I wish somebody, quite honestly, had said, look, okay, learn the basic principles of exposure compensation. And I didn't get that for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I made a lot of mistakes. And here I photographed right after I got out of school. So this is relatively one of the first things I had done in photography was the Monterey Pop Festival. Wow. 
During the day, when the light values were very nominal, very even, particularly in Monterey with the fog and all that, um, uh, I got pretty good shots. And basically, you know, there was a little, uh, there was a little light meter within this camera I had, and I just got it right about the middle. I thought, okay, that's where it should be. Not understanding anything about, you know, minusing a couple of stops, mm-hmm. you know, or increasing. I didn't know anything about exposure compensation. And I kind of didn't want to learn and get bogged down by the technical aspect because there was a belief that if you kind of hit this tipping point and kind of went over the edge of being much more uh, aware and obsessed with the technical aspect and you put all this thought process into, well, let's see, I can shoot at 5.6 and open up two stops and then maybe I can minus the development and all this stuff... It misses that spontaneity, number one, of getting the shot. You know, while you've been thinking about it, you've already missed the shot. And, and, and just that, that thing that happens to you when you get in the zone and you're starting to get into the creative process, you know, sitting there making all kinds of calculations in your head, which were really new for me at the time, it was hard. I just wanted to go, does this feel good or does it not feel good? And in school you learn, does it work or does it not work? And as long as you start applying certain fundamentals that you've learned, you can get some pretty good shots. You know, you can kind of work the design into the shot. And I wanted to put my energy there. So to answer your question in a way, I, I did not embrace the technology. And that was a mistake. So when digital came along, by then I had figured out, you got to know something about this. But again, it's a it's a, a balance beam you're walking on, and you've got to be able to know about the tech, certainly what the camera can do, and be able to take that technology and use it in an artistic way, and still keep your mind open, you know, and allow the the artistic process, the creative process, to come in, where you just let go, and it all starts happening. You know where you connect with this thing. It's called you know getting in the zone. Mm-hmm. And every every great artist, every artist that's never been discovered, but certainly all the great, um, Rena- I mean Da Vinci and Michelangelo and Botticelli and all these guys from the Renaissance. And I was just looking at them at the uh, museum yesterday with my son. Um, anytime you guys know what I'm talking about. Anytime you totally give yourself, all of yourself, into this moment where nothing else in the world matters and you and this thing are totally connected by this beam of energy that is an exciting experience and that's when the magic happens every cell in your body is sitting there going yeah he's in it man he's, he's cranking yeah this is cool and it takes a while to get there but if, if, you're, if you're thinking about uh, should I shoot it 5.6 or let's see or, or should I use Tri-X film or Plus X film oh, maybe I've been a Anatomic <laughs> would have been better. The picture's gone. Right, you're gone. You're out of that space. Would, would you say that it's it's fair to say that um, by knowing all those foundational rules, that it gave you the versatility to be able to break them and and have that spontaneity, but also know that you had that foundation where you're well still within the yeah the foundation of, of yeah uh, and and I would break them, you know. But then I've always still gone back to some of the basics. You can't beat the law of thirds. It's just the way we have this predisposition disposition of, of the way our neurotransmitters or, or whatever is going on in the brain and the way we see and that there's this proportion of, of uh, 
space, spatial relationships that have a rightness. It's the golden rule. It's the golden mean. You know, the Greeks discovered it. It goes. It's been around for a long time. And those proportions, they're all based on on math, and math is finite. And so, you know, you start pushing it around. There's going to be a tilt. And that I find that, you know. And if I start to, um, when I start to mess with that, those are the those are just the basics. Now, as far as color, contrast. Um, Texture. Oh, I, I push it to all extremes. I, I don't feel like there's anything that's holding me back there. That I have to have certain guidelines. But if I have something where I'm, I'm just going, you know, let's say like, you know, a pattern, a particular pattern that you see, and and actually, I'm sure we've all done this. Sometimes you take a, a shot, your phone or your camera goes off, and it gets the ground in your foot, and you're moving, and so there's all this blurry. Sometimes an accident like that, where everything falls into the right spot, some yeah. of those shots are beautiful. Yeah, yeah. You know, ninety-five percent of my toss, but every once in a while I keep one. I go, wow, that's that's gorgeous. How much of your career has been spent having to work with others in collaboration as an artistic team to produce some of this work? And where have you? found yourself in sort of that leadership role to help guide them with some of these principles that you're sharing with us. Where does Brian get questions like this? <laughs> <laughs> I've been interviewed a lot. Dude, you're just throwing them out there. It's like, yeah, he is. Yeah. That's <laughs> um, why he's Brian. Yeah, that's Brian, you're, you're cranking it. <laughs> <laughs> I got to tell Rob, you give him a raise, man. Jesus, <laughs> way too intelligent. Yeah. Um, no, that's, that's a great question. Um, there are times where uh, yeah, I've worked on a number of projects that way. In fact, I had I had a, a partner when I was in L.A. and for, there were three, four years where we did album covers together. And I gave I gave him more of the design. It was really my group, and he came to me, and I brought him in. So I, in terms of the pecking order, I was still the the guy. And I and most of the album covers were people that I had kind of met, and they were, they were more or less my connections. Um, I, I did feel more comfortable where I could put more time into the photography and he could put more time into the design. And I liked his, he had a clean sense of design. So if you're compatible with somebody, this is obvious stuff, you know, if you're compatible with somebody and you like the way they work, you like their design style, yeah, it's great. There is one designer in Carmel uh, where, where I live and work um, on different projects and this guy is so good that whenever I get involved with him, I just know my work is going to look great. He, the output is always... He, he, this guy is, is so brilliant and has such a beautifully connected way of, of having that aha moment always pop up when he's finished. You know, it's really a joy. There have been times where, and this happens a lot, you work with somebody, you turn in the, your photos, and you see it come out in a magazine or even in print or something, and I don't even want to show it to anybody. It's that bad. So there are times in a collaboration where if I don't have enough control and I, I really can't see anything, um, it, it can be disastrous and sad because you try real hard with this picture. Now, the other thing, too, I have to point out is that when you're, let's say, when you're working with somebody on the design, you know, on the design side, but they're not there. 
you're not getting any feedback. They simply say, go out and get this photo, and they give you a few parameters, and but not enough to where you, you know, you really have to sit there and try and get in their head. You can't call them, you can't send them an email, and I gotta kind of second guess them, well, will they like this, or will they like that, or can I, if I shoot this and there'll be a, a kind of a blank area, they could drop some type in over there. So now I find myself designing this thing before they've even had a chance to look at the photo. That's hard, mm -hmm. because sometimes I'm totally off. And, and sometimes I'll shoot something and I'll go, oh yeah, I killed it, I crushed it, this is great, and they see it and they go, this isn't what I wanted at all. So where, where, does the, where does the interaction come in where there are leadership components where you may be acting in a directing capacity? Or is it, is it more in nature of the, the request of the work, that sort of thing? Well, no, again, uh, yeah, it, it works both ways. But the one thing that happened when I, was, when I did the album covers, uh, I got to the point, because I did have a design background, I got to the point where I was able to convince the group, they mm -hmm. said, look, I can design this for you. That was really, really something that helped. And one group in particular that I did nine albums for, they totally trusted me, that was Steppenwolf. And I got in to the design aspect and they gave me a, this beautiful blank slate, you know, huge canvas. And they said, this is what we wanted to say, but you know, just let's see what you can do. One thing that, yeah, one technique that a number of photographers that I worked with, they would shoot, just go out and shoot a bunch of pictures. They come back, um, they go to the studio, and I've done this a few times too. You bring your slide projector and you bring a blank album mm -hmm. cover. And everybody smokes a tremendous amount of marijuana. And um, except I had to kind of be careful that. You didn't anyway. inhale? Yeah, because I wanted to. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, actually, I, I really enjoyed it. I did inhale, but not very much, simply because I wanted to be able to use the slide projector and not make a fool of myself. Because um, that happened one time, and I got a slide stuck, and I couldn't get it out, and it was just an awful experience. The slide got ruined. It was awful. The smoke in the slides probably yeah, yeah. high, too. <laughs> yeah. I tried to roll that little sucker. Ooh, wow, that's awful. You know, geez, all that emulsion and everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the um, but anyway, we'd, we'd look at them, and, and I'd just sit there, and I could move this, the album cover back and forth as to see how the cropping would be. So that was one technique. The other was where you had a specific idea, and there were going to have to be a number of photographs used within the shot, like a collage, and I did several like that, or, you know, it was much more involved. And I more or less, you know, kind of took their lead, and, and you said, okay, let's see, and then I just... I said, I'm going to do this for you. It, it really helps when somebody's in control, and the more you can get as much control as possible. It's like with any project, mm -hmm. you know, it, within the arts or with the, uh, you know, even within uh, a management team, something like that. The more control you can have, it's, it's always going to be. All these things that are so standard, just standard beliefs that so many people have, that certainly works with me, and it worked with me in the past. But... When I was able to actually, you know, if I'm photographing you and I, I see some blank spaces in the back behind you and I see a, a textured bush or tree over here, I know that I'm going to put the, I'm going to line you up so that the area behind you is much more devoid of texture so I can drop song titles over this shoulder than that shoulder. And that really helps knowing that I'm going to make that choice. Right. That was a huge asset. The fringe benefit from that is I made twice the money, but
But really what I liked was having the control. It was another way of going through that whole creative process. Mm-hmm. You take the shot, now you get to put it into a format or an environment uh, to go with that format and then lay it out and, and it has to be perfect in doing the mechanicals and get it set for the printer and you have to have a knowledge about printing. How certain This is where the technology, you know, the more I learned, the more it really helped and I was able to use it in an artistic way. Perfect example. Uh, in in uh, offset printing, like everything was in those days, it's in order to get a real rich black background, and sometimes I would frame a photograph with black, I'd put a 30% uh, layer of blue ink underneath that. And that, in, in, in red would change it, you, you couldn't do it with any other color, but at 30, 30% blue, the printer would lay that on first, and then on top of that, the black, that mm. black would just be so rich and deep. And that was a trick I learned from a guy, uh, uh, you know, who told me, you know, taught me a lot about printing. So I would be able to, I'd call the colors out. I could control so much of the look of the album by ways that a lot of people didn't even understand because I understood the printing process. Yeah. And I'd be down there on the press talking to the guys loading up the ink fountains and telling what I wanted and everything. So I got, I got into it in that respect. It was a lot, a long ways from going click. <laughs> you know, putting film in the camera and going, okay, I think I'll take that. You know, what's uh, what's one of the universal truths you think anyone who works with technology needs to know when they are leading other uh, teams that have to collaborate effectively? Do you have an insight? That you yeah, can show? yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, I don't care what you're doing if if you don't create from the heart. You know, you're going to start to stumble. But it, when people see that the passion is there, they get behind that. You know, I, I have one son who's a, um, a filmmaker. He's a director of basically mostly TV commercials. And he'll put a lot of people on the set. And he does some very big productions. But they get right away from the beginning in the first meeting um, that they, they have these... Um, pre-con meetings where they could go on for two or three weeks where he meets with art directors and set designers all this stuff and when you see that it comes and I tell him I said you know corazón corazón as long as you create from the heart your hands will follow now I have another son who's um, he's a software engineer and he is all heart he is passion and all he does is put zeros and ones together and he writes mostly now in JavaScript, but he writes in other languages as well. But he writes with passion. And that, I would say that's the key thing. It's, it's, it it might sound cornball. Be passionate. Be, uh, <laughs> that's a comma from the heart. You've got the love of what you do. What are you, a chef? No, I'm a software engineer. I'm creating an app. What do you mean? No, you know. no but it's... Sorry. Get carried <laughs> no, away. <you're> fine. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's no different. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's the beauty you know, I mean, my son explained me explained to me um, last night at dinner about how he works. You know, I, he's a web developer right now, and they build these very high end websites um, for um, universities, and and uh, he just did one for Jeff Bezos for mm-hmm. the Blue Origin, um, pretty oh, cool. sophisticated website, and he worked with a few other engineers and all that, but. I said, well, how do you even begin this? He says, well, it's the atomic design. 
atomic design, what the heck is that? And, and atomic design is, is a way in which they start on the, you know, it's a very organic process, and they, they start the design, they, they break everything down even to the molecular level. And, and, and it's not quantum physics or anything, but, but it is structured in a way that it, it is basically like atomic and subatomic infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, you know, he has, you know, everything on a molecular design. They get into the atoms, and and he was showing me how they're each stage of where they're going. It was I was blown away. The structural thing of how they start from here and they keep making these steps, where you know the way I was, it, you, you you take a napkin and you get a ballpoint pen and you start drawing on it, and you get another <laughs> napkin and you draw on that, and then you put the two together and you say, okay, that's what we're gonna do, and. It ain't like that anymore. It's kind of cool. Very you know cool. what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, I know exactly what you're I talking mean, about. Yeah, I just found out about atomic design. <laughs> I mean, have you heard of that? Where you where you start on the molecular level and everything? I've never heard of that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's, some, it's something that. fairly new. So, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's pretty it's, new. It's, it's probably pretty new. new yeah, yeah couple, past couple of years. But, I mean, yeah. it, it, that's that's fantastic. But even that is done with heart. That's done with passion. That's, and passion is nothing more than yours. You believe in this so much, and you, you are so connected with it, that it's part of you. That's the thing about the zone. You know? and, and it can, be, it can be selling products you know, in the insurance world, or in the wholesale world, or reinsurance. I mean, mm-hmm. how do you get excited about reinsurance? <laughs> <laughs> I'm still trying to figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but you know what? I mean... Even when I started working with you guys 14 years ago, 15 years ago, and I started to tell people, you know, I said, God, I met this great group of people. I've been working with this great corporate group. What is it? It's the Council of Insurance Agents and Brokers. They looked at me like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> you know? That's, that's got to be re- You mean insurance people? Oh, that's real exciting. Whoopee. <laughs> Whoopee. I'd love to wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to work with a bunch of insurance guys. <laughs> you know, I'll get my gray suit out and go watch the paint dry. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because that was the perception. Yeah. It's just the opposite. This is one of the best, best group of people I've ever met. So I'm going to ask you a, a, a question a little bit easier probably than than what Brian's been throwing at you. Do you have any uh, habits that you've developed that you think kind of help you get through your days or um, that have been beneficial with you um, working at all? Well, the <laughs> I, I have to say that, that the therapy I get is when I can let go and start looking for art. And it's, this sounds like, does this guy ever give it up? You know, But... Um, there's something about the creative process, whether I'm repairing something in the house and I've got to go down and figure out how to make it. I've got some pretty cool tools. I don't have a shop. I wish I did, but I've got enough tools around, you know, in the garage and stuff like that and with a good vice and, you know, um, a grinder and mm-hmm. impact driver and all these cool things you can get at Home Depot and everything. <laughs> you, can, you can start making pretty cool stuff. So there's a creative aspect there. Uh, I'd rather fix something that needs repair in the house than call somebody. Because, mm-hmm. number one, I like the satisfaction that I, I was able to figure this out. But, and it's the process. And, you know, they, there's that saying, is it the destination um, or is it the journey? I actually really like the journey. 
Yeah. You know, and, and so I create my own journey sometimes. And when I went to that museum, those several museums, museums yesterday with Casey, I, I was shooting art within art. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of the things were so visually stunning that I started pulling other very visual stunning images within that people didn't even notice. Mm-hmm. You know, so, I mean, here's this giant, let's say a, a giant painting, and then I started photographing just a section of that mm-hmm. and then finding another world of art. And then walking around within the architecture and looking up at the ceilings and look at the superstructure. And then just by, by holding the camera a certain way, you get part of different planes and then maybe some molding and then different tonal changes within the walls. And then by the way it's cropped, all of a sudden, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. Well, you know, I do this with my friends. We call it pulling art out of nothing. Mm-hmm. And I do that for my own. If, if I can be, have the time to do that, I will feel better within my whole body. And, and now I don't get a chance to do that much, and I have to go to that place. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, you know, when you're so bogged down with stuff that has, happens during the day, you know, that you have to do, you can't see that stuff. It's, it, I can drive by something or, or look at something and go, I don't know what I saw the other day in that, but I don't see anything now. Mm-hmm. Because I've got emails to answer. Just like we all get caught up with the stuff that we got to do, and it bogs us down. So when you can free yourself of that and go into something where now you've got these little journeys that you can go through mm-hmm. and go through that excitement of, 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 cre- of finishing the journey or taking on the journey and reaching your destination, that's... That's healthy, and I like to do that. And I also never stop walking or moving, so I get plenty <laughs> of exercise. Awesome. Yeah. And then uh, one other question I have, is there a, uh, a book that you gift to people or a book that's had a big impact on you or, um, or a piece of media or anything like that? And I hear a lot of um, interviews on NPR, mm-hmm. and, and there are some fascinating people that... Um, I sometimes I find that they they talk better than they write <laughs> because I go and buy the book. I go, this isn't exactly what it sounded like when he was talking to Terry Gross, uh-huh. but I, you know. But I um, uh, there's some guys that uh, oh, let's see, Brian DeGrasse. No, that's it. Who's the the guy who the one who knows everything about Neil DeGrasse Tyson? Neil DeGrasse Tyson. Yeah. Um, I star like the way talk. I, you know, maybe Brian's got to do that star talk. <laughs> star talk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I find the show a little bit, you know, a little bit cheesy at times, you know, yeah. and a little bit too scripted. But I like the way he describes things in, you know, very basic terms, and I'm and I do learn from him. But uh, I read several books. One is on how to literally about speaking and connecting with people. There's some great books. On, and I can't really quote anybody right now, um, but it's um, it's something I'll get, I I copy a lot of phrases out mm-hmm. of it. But really, what helps me more than anything is I listen a lot to NPR and I listen to some very bright people talk, and I love the use of really well composed metaphors, and I write metaphors down all the way, mm-hmm. and I, I hear them many more times than when I see them in print. But there was one I just heard the other day, and oh my God, it floored me. Um, and, and Terry Gross, I'm a big fan of hers. I mean, we all are. But she said something um, 
oh, years ago in the interview, she says, well, it, it seems like that has some nefarious underpinnings. And I went, nefarious underpinnings? Wow. That's <laughs> a almost statement. a song. Yeah, it yeah. has a cadence to it, nefarious <laughs> yeah. underpinnings. I've actually written her about this, you know. I gave her my rock and roll book, and I put that in there. I said, you're the only person in the world, I think, that has ever put those two words together, and it sure is cool, you know. But I've tried to use that. It's very difficult. It's difficult to find some yeah. of these metaphors uh, to, to drop into in a very cool way in a sentence where you really want to explain what you're feeling, and at the same time, somebody goes, whoa. I don't do it to that, for that reason, but yeah, but it, it, it's it's fun. It, it, it's flowery and it's fun, and, and so I've uh, I get a lot out of that. But I'd say there was a book that I, I like to recommend to people, uh, only because there's still a tremendous interest within the music, and it's about Jimi Hendrix. And there's a book called Room Full of Mirrors, and it's about his life. It's a biography of his life, and it is so well done. And if you want to look into the world of somebody, into the life of somebody that is so immensely popular and famous, and he's been, he's been dead for 47 years, something like that, um, unfortunately. He only had three years of success. He had a terrible, miserable, awful upbringing. And but this is the book is very well written and it really channels it, you know it tracks his life right up to the end and from the very beginning. And I like to tell people that are interested in music, read this book. Mm-hmm. It'll really make you realize, wow, you know, look what some people do to really, uh, you know, what they got to do to go through and make it. You know, but I I hear books like Sapiens. I've been wanting to read that. I hear that's a mm-hmm. great read. And uh, I, my son gave me The Fabric of the Universe by Brian, I think Brian Green. And I got three pages into that, and I got a headache. And I, <laughs> I wanted to understand it so much because I, I listened to him on the radio, you know. And, and, uh, but I, um, yeah, I, I, there's some books I, I love. Um, there's some great books. But I, I, I'm sounding like somebody that sits over in the White House says a lot of words and says nothing. I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> I don't know what these guys think. Hey, nefarious underpinnings. Yeah, yeah. got a, a much broader usage yeah. at this point. <laughs> um, I saw something in the New Yorker the other day at a friend's house. I probably didn't write it down here. It was something like, it was a drawing, and there was a, a woman, and her, she had her child, and there was another person that had a dog, and the dog was looking at the kid, and, and the woman said, does your dog bite? And... And, and the, the caption was, um, that's not in his repository of advances. <laughs> I just, I said, okay, I got to find a way to use <laughs> I'm going to use that, you know. Do you, have you ever said, well, it's not my repository of, of comments. You know, but, I mean, I'm just, I'm fascinated by words and how people put them together. But, you know, the, I'll tell you, the, the things that, the, the one thing, that phrase I said a little while ago, that has resonated with me in such a big way. Nobody cares how much you know until you know how much they care. I would say that's one of the number one phrases that um, just has really meant a lot to me. And I live by that. When you send it out to the universe, it will answer. Mm-hmm. My sister taught me that one. And... 
and the one I've taught both kids. Um, an artist in Mexico told me this years ago. Um, when you create from the heart, your hands will follow. And I live by those. So I, it's not really necessarily getting them from books. Mm -hmm. it's, it's just getting them either on the radio or if, or if somebody tells me. Um, the, one, the one I got from, uh, I learned about the Teddy Roosevelt quote, nobody, nobody cares how much you know. I got that from two brothers that their, their father had just passed away and he was this incredible guy and he was this amazing salesman. He was a super salesman. And that's what he taught his sons. That was his mantra. He said, the way you connect with people. And I heard that. And it just, I just said, say it again. Now again. Then I had to write it down. Then I had to look <laughs> at it five times so I could get it right. I just remember there is one from a book. It was in school. Uh, George Bernard Shaw. It was a short play called Mrs. Warren's Perfect Profession. And there's a line in there. Uh, I think I was 19 years old when I read this. This had a profound effect. I don't tell anybody to read this short play, mm -hmm. but I tell them about the line. And there's a line in there that says, you create your own circumstances. And that came very early on. I would say that's one of the most powerful um, printed lines that I'd ever read that had a very immediate and a very, very long profound effect on me. I still live by that. You create your own, which is the same thing as when you send it out the universe that will answer. I mean, I've, I'm in this situation now where I've got a strong chance to be in some commercials. Mm -hmm. uh, people listen, commercials? Who wants to be in a commercial? Well, national commercials. And the pri it's, again, it's the journey. Yeah. The destination, yeah, it aired all over the place. Sure, fine. It was the process. That was, yeah. That's where the fun is. I want to do this. You know, I've been on, I, I photographed TV sets and movie sets when I was in L.A. for years. I was always comfortable. Now I'm on the other side of the camera. My, my son taught me that, how to find that, being a director taught me how to find that comfort zone. I really like it. Mm -hmm. I started thinking about what happened to me in September. I started thinking about that two years ago. I started creating the circumstance for that. I started sending it out. And it happened. And it happened much bigger than I thought it would. So, I mean, this little five-second moment that I'm on, that I was on television all over the country for about three or four weeks, has had a profound effect on my life. It's crazy. Yeah, it's very crazy. crazy. And I've had this career as a photographer, <laughs> you know, where I actually, you know, I mean, some people know me, and I've got an yeah. name out there, and it's, it's floating around. You can see my stuff. But now, I mean, the. When people see me there in Carmel or Pebble Beach or something like that, they go, "Hey, Dancing Man, how you doing?" <laughs> There's our rock star. So we'll don't title this podcast, Dancing Man. Yeah, Dancing Man. Hey, how you doing? Hey, don't forget the little people. Remember us? <laughs> Somebody's sitting there yelling at me from the front door of their five hundred. I mean, their five million dollar mansion. Don't forget the little people. Yeah. <laughs> sure, as I go back to my trailer. <laughs> yeah, I won't forget the little rich millionaire people that I know. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's just, uh, they, they're crazy about it, you know? So, I mean, people come up all the time now that, I mean, they're clients and some are friends and they go, they make a big deal about it. I, I want to say, five seconds I was on television. This happens all the time. 
but they, that guy that they saw, they knew. And, it, and I, I've tried to think about that. What is it when you know somebody that does something on a, you know, on a national level, or it gets a lot of exposure? Yeah. It's, it's funny, you know? I mean, I, I, that stuff fascinates me. It's very crazy when I saw it, because I, I didn't happen to catch it when it aired, but so I went back there to YouTube to find it, and I'm like, wait, there's Tom. He's yeah. right there. It's like... Well, yeah, it's like and, five seconds. You're just like yeah. dancing around, and it's like wait, well, it's such a shock. Nobody that was my nobody. wife too. She's like, wait, that, that is him right yeah. there. Yeah, and and people they started calling me, and I got emails and texts like, dude, did I just see you in a sprint commercial? <laughs> and it, I've been in a few more, but they weren't as they, they weren't as prevalent. They weren't mm-hmm. as, uh, as, you just didn't see them that much. And I get texts here and there, maybe just a handful. This was crazy. So, and I've been interviewed a number of times on the radio and NPR and all that, and, I, and the same thing. Hey, I heard you on the radio. I was in. People here in D.C. heard me. You know, when I and I did the uh, I did the show in L.A. Mm-hmm. Uh, at their studios in Cover City, and that was fun. But this was. It was fun. It was the journey, right? <laughs> it was the it journey. It was the journey. <laughs> yeah. Can we finish with? Uh, I just want to ask. Favorite rock and roll album cover that you ever uh, got to do photography for? What is it? The, the most famous, you know, the one that certainly is way up there in terms of the the accolades is uh, that Deja Vu album cover for Crosby, Stills, and Nash. And I am proud of that. But I'd say, quite honestly, um, my favorite is an album called Steppenwolf 7. And it's it was where I was really able to do my thing as an artist. They gave me such a free reign. And I had some elements they wanted that one of the guys in the band who was very creative, he wanted me to work with. Um, but I created this thing, and that has also been singled out in different album cover books and things like that. It's the one with the two big skulls. That were oh, actually, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and there's a sunset behind it, and the band's kind of in the lower third of the album, and they're looking very macho. And I shot it in for red film, so the color balance is way off. And then in these radiant lines going out from the center of the album, it says Steppenwolf 7. And, um, and then you um, look at the um, backside, and it's a shot that I took of John Kay, who I'm going to see in a few days mm-hmm. in Montreal. And he was, I had gotten down in his swimming pool in Laurel Canyon, and then he stood on the edge, and I shot him with a, a 17 millimeter wide angle lens. So he looks like, a, like he's the Eiffel Tower. He looks like this <laughs> huge, goes on forever. And underneath that, in a very light texture, is the yellow plate. In other words, the, the front cover, but only the yellow. And that's and, and this image is sitting on that. And then there's a uh, group shot that I took of the band um, in front of the Royal Albert Hall, posing for a, a whole group of paparazzi photographs. So I had shot from the side. And I put, I put that shot very small at the foot of this big supersized John Kay, the leader of the band. And then I took another shot of one of the guys in the band in this that was in this group shot. Well, I took a shot of him leaning up against a, a huge stone at, at um, Stonehenge. 
when they played in Bath, England at a big festival there. And we stopped at Stonehenge, and so he was taking a picture of his wife. So I took a picture. So I, and I just went around looking at proof sheets, and I started cutting them out. But I didn't clip them out like a collage. I did it all photomechanically. So anyway, he's leaning up against this, this uh, rock, which became the other leg of John Kay, shooting the band on the opposite leg. And then I took a brick road that I'd gotten in uh, Sofia, Bulgaria, and I put that in there. Anyway, I'm trying to say it. I made this... Just crazy collage, but it all worked. It, it wasn't <laughs> tilt or anything like that. It all it was very seamless the way it was just meant to be. That was a lot of fun, you know. And that that journey was fantastic. And when I look at that, I, I'm I'm quite proud. And it was done all analog. Today you mm-hmm. could do this in layers. Sure. I did it with film layers. I, I worked in big sheets of uh, of um, it's called line film or codolith film. There's no gray tones or anything like that. It's either solid black or the film was clear. Hmm. And the neat thing about it was orthochromatic, so you could work on it. You could do things with it underneath a, uh, uh, a safe light. Mm-hmm. And when you processed it, and you could look at it to see when it was ready. And it was all creative element. But they were like photographs, only that it was on film. But no, no middle grays. So uh, it was very graphic. And I would... I would make prints off of those, and then I'd paint on them, and it was, it was a wonderful, wonderful time. But you know, this is way before anything like Photoshop or working with computers. Mm-hmm. Um, something digital. You know what, it, what digital meant? Digits, fingers, <laughs> or a number. Yeah. yeah. You know, but but it, digital meant you were you, you had dexterity in your fingers. Mm. So it, it was just all analog, and I'm very proud of that. So yeah. Steppenwolf 7. Check that out, ladies and gentlemen, on Amazon. You can get it for about, or eBay, $35 an album. This is good, you guys. Yeah, perfect. Do you, uh, where, where can people find you, Tom? They're looking for you. Yeah, the uh, website is tgophoto.com. T, my initials, tgophoto.com. And... If you go to the website and you see the rock and roll book, you can buy that for twenty nine ninety five plus a little bit of money for shipping, and we'll send it anywhere. It's called Gundelfinger, Memoirs of a Rock and Roll Photographer from <laughs> Deja Vu, from Monterey Pop to Deja Vu and beyond. It's a cool book. You'll, you'll dig it. Why do I look over there? <laughs> well, there think, is an object over there. Well, so I think it, it looks like a camera. I'm talking to everybody, and it, it, I know there's no camera, but you look like a camera, too. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, this is awesome. Perfect. Thanks. Really? Is okay? Yeah. Thanks. Oh, I love this. You guys, you do, you do a great show. Bravo. Bravo. Yes, sir. Thank yeah. you.